at some point along the way, most of us ran for one reason or another, right? We were young and on the playground. We got older. We wanted to stay in shape for high school or college sports. Then in our 30s and 40s, we ran or we jogged to try to stay healthy. Running is part of many people's lives. Now, a couple of years ago, I ran to help me lose weight, right? I started eating better and running a couple of miles a few times a week, but I never really loved running, and I eventually switched to walking. But I wonder now, could I keep running at 51? Like, am I too old to keep running? I ran because I had to. Basketball in high school, softball in high school, I hated it. I wish I didn't, because I know today that would be the easiest way for me to reach my health goals. But is it too late for me, too? Hi, everybody. I'm Missy Jepson. And I'm Pete Kenworthy, and this is the science of health. So we have lots of questions about running and a few myths to bust along the way. But most importantly, we want to discuss things that runners want to know about how to get better, faster, stronger, how to improve at running. Joining us today is Dr. Laura Goldberg from University Hospitals in Cleveland. And along with being a sports medicine specialist, Dr. Goldberg has also run more than 20 marathons in her life. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. So let's start with this one, some science. Running is the most efficient way to burn calories versus other forms of exercise like biking, walking, swimming. True or false and why? Well, it is an efficient form of, of exercise, but it also depends how much you put into it. Mm. So somebody that's running at you know a slower pace versus someone that's running at a faster pace, you could potentially walk at a, a higher intensity and burn more calories than someone who's jogging really slowly. So it really is intensity-based. And that's actually true for all the sports we do. Same with swimming, biking, walking. Um, so it really, it's not a straightforward yes. Sounds like the key is doing. Doing, <laughs> any doing, any moving. Any moving is better than not moving. Yeah, no, no doubt. There is there a point though when people who want to run but they really don't like it can actually learn to like it, get, get past whatever it is that is the problem? So running is hard on our bodies in the sense that most everything we do is not impact-based. You know, when we walk, we're not bouncing, we're not jumping around all the time. And so it does require different strengths, and it does challenge your body differently, both um, through your muscle strength as well as cardiovascular. It can be a really make you breathe kind of harder than you're used to. So yeah, once you start to get in shape, you're going to start feeling that sort of runner's high. Mm. Um, and it comes at different times at different people. So you might be able to run three miles and feel that way, or you might have to get up to much further. I was going to ask you about that runner's high, and I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because we didn't have it in our questions. That's, that's real? Because I've heard runner's high. I've never gotten to that point. I never get past the runner wants to puke. <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't been running a lot lately because I had this knee injury, so I just can't run a lot because, um, well, arthritis, which we'll talk about joints in a little bit, I think. But um, one of the things that I find really interesting about that runner's high is it can come at times when you don't expect it. So I've trained for marathons and been in, you know, mile 18 and gotten it, or at an easy run and been at mile like four or five. It's really just that when the endorphins kick in and you're just feeling like in invincible and it's kind of like everything comes together at once. Isn't it funny that she said the easy run at mile four or five? <laughs> yeah, hilarious. <laughs> so we did talk about getting over that hump, whether it's learning to like running or, or just getting over a hump. There is a way to do that? So... Part of what's so hard about exercise is really getting your um, body to be more efficient. And so that efficiency comes from just repetition and doing it and challenging your body in different ways. So sometimes if you go out for a run by yourself and you're kind of feeling blah and you're just going to run blah, 
So it's much better to have a friend or someone that might push you a little bit or on a day that you're feeling like you really need to take it easy, you might want to run with a friend that doesn't go quite as fast. But really, the way to get over that hump of do I like to run or do I not is to get your body accustomed to that cardiovascular effort that's going on. So maybe you know you don't want to run twice a week and never do anything else. You want to make sure you do something consistently enough. And consistency really comes from enjoying it. So you have to somehow get yourself to enjoy it enough to get out there all the time. Is going with friends or a small group, like, is that a way to, you know, maybe you hate running alone and even music doesn't help yeah. you. Maybe someone holding you accountable? Does that? Well, yeah, that the holding you accountable is good, but also that when you are running with somebody else, a lot of times you're talking. And so that talking, if you can run and you can hold a conversation, maybe not be the only person talking, but the back and forth, that is a really good base building running. You know, you definitely want to go on runs sometimes where you can't talk, that you're pushing yourself harder, and runs where you could talk the entire time because, again, changing that intensity is really important. We do want to talk about getting better and faster, but first, let's talk about those knee and, and joint pains. True or false, is running bad for your knees or your joints? Well, running puts about four times your body weight on it when you run um your, your body needs to absorb that body weight. And so, yes, theoretically, you think, oh, that must be harder on your joints. But your joints and bones respond to loading. It actually helps you know, maintain muscle or bone strength. You definitely need to have increased muscle strength to run. That's why that starting, when you start to run, you get that soreness you know, that you don't get in other sports unless there's running involved with them. So it's not bad on your joints, but it does take some adjusting. And I mean, if it was bad on your joints, every runner out there would have arthritis. And that's not the case. Okay, so you are a runner and you want to get better. What are the ways to do that? So we touched on it a little bit in the sense that you have to challenge your body in different ways. So first and foremost, you have to run regularly. You need recovery from your running. And so when you are trying to build your efficiency, you're really trying to change your cardiovascular system. And so we think of that as VO2 max. So by pushing yourself so that you're elevating that threshold where you go from aerobic to anaerobic, you know, so using oxygen to not using oxygen, um, that threshold is really important. So we think of different types of running. So you have your tempo runs, your threshold runs. So threshold is sort of that, you know, you're running really hard right at that level that you can't hold for a long time. Tempo run is kind of more of a faster paced that you can hold for a longer period of time. And then you've got your base runs that you're, you know, you could go out and run forever on. Um, and that forever, of course, is different for everybody. Um, by adding in the the sprinting or the fartlicks uh, that people talk about, that's really just another way to kind of challenge you. And you have to look at what your goal is. If your goal is a 5K, you're going to have a much different training program than if you're a marathon runner. Or um, if you want to be a trail runner and you have to be able to run for, you know, an Ironman or some long, long distance, that's a very different training program. And one thing we haven't talked about is you can't just run. You have to challenge your body in other ways because, again, your muscles need to be able to tolerate running. And as we get older, unfortunately, our muscles don't respond as quickly. Our, our, everything's a little bit less elastic, has less water, really more prone to injury. And so making sure you're doing the strength training to go along with it is really important. What about the mental side of it? You know you can physically do it, but your brain is just telling you, I can't or I don't want to. 
So the mental aspect of running is so hard. I can't say I've ever ran a marathon, even as trained as I was, that there wasn't a point in there that I said, I'm never, I'm not going to make it. Um, and whether that's because you're dehydrated, you don't have enough you know, nutrients in your body, you aren't quite trained for what you're doing, you're pushing yourself to the limit, everyone has little tricks. Um, and if you don't have little tricks, you're, you're going to figure them out pretty quickly. So for me, sometimes like in a, in a race or a long run, I will pick somebody to run that mile for. And I'll start thinking, okay, during this run, and maybe it's my niece or my nephew or my kid, and I'm thinking about them, you know, or something, or else you'll meet somebody and start talking to them. The, the mental game really is what separates the elite from the, the non-elite. Hmm. It's really being able to push yourself. We're, we're going to get to that elite non-elite thing here in just in just a second but I want to touch on marathons because you brought it up the the Cleveland marathon happened recently right and and they told me they typically have a 10 to 12 percent no-show rate every year now obviously it's for various reasons right but but one reason I would have to think comes into play is an injury during training for the marathon we hear about those right hamstring knee shin injuries are there best ways to avoid those things because you know you you paid to go to the marathon you want to run the marathon you certainly don't want to have something stop that Yep. And it's, as a sports medicine physician, I definitely see an uptick of of visits right before the marathon because people are kind of concerned, can I do it? Can I not? What pain can I run through? What pain can I not? And depending on how far away your race is, the answer to that question varies. So for somebody who comes in with, let's say, shin pain, and they're afraid of a stress fracture, so meaning that they get up in the morning and it hurts, they walk on it, it hurts, they run, it gets worse. You know, they're concerned, is this shin splints or is this a stress fracture. What I just described sounds more like a stress fracture. So in that case, if it's a week before, I will actually help by doing imaging to say, if it's a stress fracture, you cannot run. Um, If you're limping at the starting line, you shouldn't be running. If you're limping at every run the week before, that's when you got to pull the plug and say it's not worth it. But there are a lot of injuries that we can assist you with running through and getting to the other side of the marathon or whatever that race is, um, depending on what the injury is. And the sooner we know, the better. So before we get to that injury point, though, you know, training for a marathon takes months, right? So are there things you can do to uh, maybe, maybe not ensure, right, but give your best shot of not getting any of those injuries? Yes. And of course, following a training program so that you're, you know, making sure that you're training the right amount of miles that you're resting the right amount cross training is really important doing the strength training making sure that your hips and core are strong making sure your gait is okay and sometimes that's having somebody watch you that knows what they're talking about or actually going into a physical therapist and having them do a gait analysis the other thing is um, sleep we do not appreciate you add in a you know training program and you have a full-time job and you have kids and you're running around and you're just you're, you're adding time to your day that you don't have and so you take it away from sleep and sleep is where our body recovers and so if you go out for a long run and you don't get enough sleep that night and the next day you do your recovery run and you're exhausted you don't get enough sleep again it it really compounds and that's what leads to injury i would say nutrition and sleep are the biggest causes of injury the other thing you slid in there, you talked about core strength, right? Like, so, and and if you're if you're, I guess not new to running, but maybe you don't think about that, the, the hip strength, glute strength, core yep. strength, why that's important for running. Right. So we talk about that uh, your body weight when you run, you have to absorb four times your body weight, and so you've got to imagine that takes a lot of strength. And when you land on one leg and you're absorbing that and you're kicking it back out to go to your next step forward. 
that is all on one leg. And so in order to balance your body, you really have to make sure that your core muscles, meaning, yes, the deep core around your um, spine, your pelvic floor, a little bit your abs, but really your buttock muscles um, that stabilize the hips. Your hip isn't dropping. Your knee isn't dropping. So when we say core, it's not just having you know a, a six-pack. It's actually about the stuff that you can't see. Um, it's the deeper things. Before we talk about getting to the elite stage, you mentioned tricks. What should a runner, any runner, have in their toolbox as far as the equipment, the, the good shoes, the recovery chewies or gummies? I mean, is all of that stuff important? I think that, yes, it's important knowing how to hydrate yourself, knowing how to, to the nutrition that goes along with it. But the best thing about running is that it is, I mean, you just need a good pair of shoes. And then I do feel really strongly about clothes. People say, how do you run all year round? It's all about having the right clothes on that you know can absorb your sweat and like that don't then make you sit there in wet clothes. Having an appropriate jog bra. I mean, people that have larger size breasts have a hard time running and there's because they need more support, you've got to have the right support. Same thing with guys having comfortable shorts that, and anything that doesn't chafe over time, because for someone who has not used to running, a three-mile run is a lot of chafe on that skin if they're not used to it. So having appropriate clothing um, and, and the sort of accoutrements, of course, it makes me then jump to chafing. You need some Vaseline under any areas or having good socks and maybe putting powder in your toes so you don't get blisters and, you know, making sure that your shoes fit and that you're you're rotating them appropriately maybe every 400 miles or so. But it also depends on where you're running, how hard you're running, how heavy you are, what kind of shoes you have. Some people have to, you know, rotate them sooner. So, and I, and I do agree with having like two pairs of shoes so that there's a little bit more recovery time of that shoe, especially if you're training twice a day, you should really have two pairs of shoes. Um, so one of the things that's really interesting to me is most of the research that has been done in the past is done on either males or male and females together and then extrapolated to women. And women obviously are very different than men in the sense that we have cycling hormones. And that really affects our injury rate, the timing of that when we want to kind of push our bodies versus kind of back off. And the more that we understand, the more that we're learning about injury prevention and about how we are better runners at more distance because we utilize fat more versus men tend to be better sprinters. Of course, those are blanket statements, but there's a reason why those statements are made. And I think going forward, it's really important for us to, to differentiate males versus females um, in terms of training and, and recovery. All of this makes sense, but can all of this make someone a great runner if that's the goal? In other words, what makes elite runners elite? Well, there is an underlying genetic component. So, you know, you are born with sort of a maximum VO2 max that you're going to achieve. If two people, and, and this is a perfect example of males and females, you put, take a male and a female and you train them exactly the same and you push them the exact same, nine out of ten times that male's VO2 max is going to be higher than that female's once they're post-puberty. Uh, Pre-puberty, there's no difference. That tends to be male-female reasoning. But then if you take two females or two males and you push them equally, one of them is going to achieve a higher VO2 max just because of their genetic makeup. Um, but then you throw into there, you need the mental aspect that can push you. Um, 
you know, the difference between elite and non-elite runners is really how long can they run at that lactate threshold or that, you know, kind of pushing at that edge. So yes, everyone can train to be an elite. Whether or not you'll be in the top of the elite is probably a little bit of genetic, a little bit of mental combined. Anything else we didn't talk about? And, and I want you to think about mm-hmm. um, any kind of runner, right? And, and I'm talking about people who are runners, right? So, so even if that person's just a you know, three mile a day kind of runner, mm-hmm. or maybe they're a 10 mile a day kind of runner. But both of those runners want to get better. Right. They want to get, whether better means faster, whether better means they're stronger, whether better means they've lost a little more weight, um, or they just want to learn how to run better. Anything we didn't touch on? So we've touched on weight training a couple of times, but one thing I think is very much overlooked is people think of running as a way to lose weight and they're like, oh, it's so efficient, I'm going to burn calories and whatnot. Really, strength training or high-intensity interval training is a very important adjunct to running because while you're running, you think, oh, I'm strengthening my legs, but that's not enough. You really do want to do strength training both for the reward of building your muscle mass um, and maintaining muscle mass as we get older. So when you're Hitting that 60, 65, we really have to increase strength training to counteract the breakdown that happens. Um, So as I kind of joke that as I get older, I have to do more and more to be able to keep doing what I used to do when I was younger. So, you know, running isn't just enough to do running. I have to do strength training so I don't get hurt to complement it. So I think that's a really, really important thing to think about is, is adding in strength training as a part of your whole running training program. So, Doctor, is there anything that you can leave us with that will make this not so daunting? I mean, I'm scared to death of it myself. My daughter is looking for a different program right now. She's a little bit overwhelmed. But I would think the benefit is is so worth it if you just give it a try. Yes. So as a runner, I, of course, want my kids to run. Um, and you can't always make that happen. They make their own choices. But I did have a discussion with my daughter yesterday. He said, Mom, I'm never going to like running. I don't like it when I run 50 yards. I don't like it when I run 100 yards. Why do you think I'm going to like it when I run more? And I think the scariest part is just starting. And so I was like, you like to walk. Go out and walk. Go for a one, two, three mile. It doesn't matter. And actually, I think a lot of times people get caught up on the distance. Just get out there and walk and then add in, you know, from this tree to the next tree, some jogging. And then, you know, do that repetitively. And over a week or two, you're going to notice that those little add-ins get easier And then you add in a little bit more and a little bit more. And then, so actually, most training programs are doing that. They're just telling you when to do it, how to do it. But if you're overwhelmed by that, just use your own neighborhood and use driveways or streets or something to to do intervals. That's great advice. Sports medicine specialist, Dr. Laura Goldberg from University Hospitals in Cleveland, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Remember, you can find and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Search University Hospitals or the Science of Health, depending on where you subscribe. And for more health news, advice for medical experts, and the Science of Health podcast, go to uhhospitals.org slash blog.